Jody's mother looked up when he got back to the house. You're laid up from bed, she said. She held his chin in her hard hand and brushed the tangled hair out of his eyes. And she said, don't worry about the pony. He'll be all right. Billy's as good as any horse doctor in the country. Jody hadn't known she could see his worry. He pulled gently away from her and knelt down in front of the fireplace until it burned his stomach. He scorched himself through and then went into bed. It was a hard thing to go to sleep. He awakened after what seemed a long time. The room was dark, but there was a grayness in the window like that which precedes the dawn. He got up and found his overalls and searched for the legs. And then the clock in the other room struck two. He laid his clothes down and got back into bed. It was broad daylight when he awakened again. For the first time, he had slept through the ringing of the triangle. He leaped up, flung on his clothes, and went out the door, still buttoning his shirt. His mother looked after him for a moment and then quietly went back to her work. Her eyes were brooding and kind. Now and then, her mouth smiled a little, but without changing her eyes at all. Jody ran on toward the barn. Halfway there, he heard the sound he dreaded, the hollow, rasping cough of a horse. He broke into a sprint then. In the barn, he found Billy Buck with the pony. Billy was rubbing his legs with his strong, thick hands. He looked up and smiled gaily. He just took a little cold, Billy said. We'll have him out of it in a couple of days. Jody looked at the pony's face. The eyes were half closed and the lids thick and dry. In the eye corners, a crust of hard mucus stuck. Gavilan's ears hung loosely sideways and his head was low. Jody put out his hand, but the pony did not move close to it. He coughed again and his whole body constricted with the effort. A little stream of thin fluid ran from his nostrils. Jody looked back at Billy Buck. He's awful sick, Billy. It's just a cold, like I said, Billy insisted. You go get some breakfast and then you go back to school. I'll take care of him. But you might have to do something else. You might leave him. No, I won't. I won't leave him at all. And tomorrow's Saturday and you can stay with him all day. Billy had failed again, and he felt badly about it. He had to cure the pony now. Jody walked up to the house and took his plate listlessly at the table. The eggs and bacon were cold and greasy, but he didn't notice it. He ate his usual amount. He didn't even ask to stay home from school. His mother pushed his hair back when she took his plate. Billy will take care of the pony, she assured him. He moped through the whole day at school. He couldn't answer any questions nor read any words. He couldn't even tell anyone the pony was sick, for that might make him sicker.
and was, when school was finally out, he started home in dread. He walked slowly and let the other boys leave him. He wished he might continue walking and never arrive at the ranch. Billy was in the barn, as he had promised, and the pony was worse. His eyes were almost closed now, and his breath whistled shrilly past an obstruction in his nose. A film covered that part of the eyes that were visible at all. It was doubtful whether the pony could see anymore. Now and then he snorted to clear his nose, and by the action seemed to plug it tighter. Jody looked dispiritedly at the pony's coat. The hair lay rough and unkempt and seemed to have lost all its old luster. Billy stood quietly beside the stall. Jody hated to ask, but he had to know. Billy, is he, is he going to get well? Billy put his fingers between the bars under the pony's jaw and felt about. Feel here, he said, and he guided Jody's fingers to a large lump under the jaw. When that gets bigger, I'll open it up and then he'll get better. Jody looked quickly away, for he had heard about that lump. What is it the matter with him? Billy didn't want to answer, but he had to. He couldn't be wrong three times. Strangles, he said shortly. But don't you worry about that. I'll pull him out of it. I've seen them get well when they were worse than Gablin is. I'm going to steam him now, and you can help. Yes, Jody said miserably. He followed Billy into the grain room and watched him make the steaming bag ready. It was a large canvas nose bag with straps to go over the horse's ears. Billy filled it one-third full of bran and then added a couple of handfuls of dried hops. On top of the dry substance, he poured a little carbolic acid and a little turpentine. I'll be mixing it all up while you run to the house for a kettle of boiling water, Billy said. When Jody came back with the steaming kettle, Billy buckled the straps over Gavilan's head and fitted the bag tightly around his nose. Then through a little hole in the side of the bag, he poured the boiling water on the mixture. The pony started away as a cloud of strong steam rose up. But then... The soothing fumes crept through his nose and into his lungs, and the sharp steam began to clear out the nasal passages. He breathed loudly. His legs trembled in an ague, and his eyes closed against the biting cloud. Billy poured in more water and kept the steam rising for 15 minutes. At last, he set down the kettle and took the bag from Gavilan's nose. The pony looked better. He breathed freely, and his eyes were open wider than they had been. 
See how good it makes him feel, Billy said. Now, we'll wrap him up in the blanket again, and maybe he'll be nearly well by morning. I'll stay with him tonight, Jody suggested. No, don't you do it. I'll bring my blankets down here and put them in the hay. You can stay tomorrow and steam him if he needs it. The evening was falling when they went to the house for their supper. Jody didn't even realize that someone else had fed the chickens and filled the wood box. He walked up past the house to the dark brush line and took a drink of water from the tub. The, the spring water was so cold that it stung his mouth and drove a shiver through him. The sky above the hills was still light. He saw a hawk flying so high that it caught the sun on its breast and shone like a spark. Two blackbirds were driving him down the sky, glittering as they attacked their enemy. In the west, the clouds were moving in to rain again. Jody's father didn't speak at all while the family ate supper, but after Billy Buck had taken his blankets and gone to sleep in the barn, Carl Tiflin built a high fire in the fireplace and told stories. He told about the wild man who ran naked through the country and had a tail and ears like a horse. And he told about the rabbit cats of Moro Coho that hopped into the trees for birds. He revived the famous Maxwell brothers who found a vein of gold and hid the traces of it so carefully that they could never find it again. Jody sat with his chin in his hands. His mouth worked nervously and his father gradually became aware that he wasn't listening very carefully. Isn't that funny? he asked. Jody laughed politely and said, Yes, sir. His father was angry and hurt then. He didn't tell any more stories. After a while, Jody took a lantern and went down to the barn. Billy Buck was asleep in the hay. The pony seemed to be much better. Jody stayed a little while running his fingers over the red, rough coat. And then he took up the lantern and went back to the house. When he was in bed, his mother came into the room. Have you enough covers on? It's getting winter. Yes, ma'am. Well, get some rest tonight. She hesitated to go out, stood uncertainly. Will be all right, she said. Jody was tired. He went to sleep quickly and didn't awaken until dawn. The triangle sounded, and Billy Buck came up from the barn before Jody could get out of the house. How is he? Jody demanded. Billy always wolfed his breakfast. Pretty, pretty good. I'm going to open that lump this morning. Then he'll be better, maybe. After breakfast, Billy got out his best knife, one with a needle point. He wetted the shining blade a long time on a little carborundum stone. 
He tried the point and the blade again and again on his calloused thumb ball, and at last he tried it on his upper lip. On the way to the barn, Jody noticed how the young grass was up and how the stubble was melting day by day into the new green crop of volunteer. It was a cold, sunny morning. As soon as he saw the pony, Jody knew he was worse. His eyes were closed and sealed shut with dried mucus. His head hung so low that his nose almost touched the straw of his bed. There was a little groan in each breath, a deep-seated, patient groan. Billy lifted the weak head and made a quick slash with the knife. Jody saw the yellow pus run out. He held up the head while Billy swabbed out the wound with weak carbolic acid salve. Now, you'll feel better, Billy assured him. That yellow poison is what makes him sick. Jody looked unbelievingly at Billy Buck. He's awful sick. Billy thought a long time what to say. He nearly tossed off a careless assurance, but he saved himself in time. Yes, he's pretty sick, he said at last. I've seen worse ones get well. If he doesn't get pneumonia, we'll pull him through. You stay with him. If he gets worse, you can come and get me. For a long time after Billy went away, Jody stood beside the pony, stroking him behind the ears. The pony didn't flip his head the way he had done when he was well. The groaning in his breathing was becoming more hollow. Doubletree Mutt looked into the barn, but his big tail waving provocatively. Hmm. Jody was so incensed at his health that he found a hard black clod on the floor and deliberately threw it. Doubletree Mutt went yelping away to nurse a bruised paw. In the middle of the morning, Billy Buck came back and made another steam bag. Jody watched to see whether the pony improved this time as he had before. His breathing eased a little, but he did not raise his head. The Saturday dragged on. Late in the afternoon, Jody went to the house and brought his bedding down and made up a place to sleep in the hay. He didn't ask permission. He knew from the way his mother looked at him that she would let him do almost anything. That night, he left a lantern burning on a wire over the box stall. Billy had told him to rub the pony's legs every little while. At nine o'clock, the wind sprang up and howled around the barn, and in spite of his worry, Jody grew sleepy. He got into his blankets and went to sleep. But the breathy groans of the pony sounded in his dreams. And his sleep, in his sleep, 
he heard a crashing noise which went on and on until it awakened him. The wind was rushing through the barn. He sprang up and looked down the lane of stalls. The barn door had blown open, and the pony was gone. He caught the lantern and ran outside into the gale and saw Gablin weakly shambling away into the darkness, head down, legs working slowly and mechanically. When Jody ran up and caught him by the forelock, he allowed himself to be led back and put into his stall. His groans were louder and a fierce whistling came from his nose. Jody didn't sleep any more then. The hissing of the pony's breath grew louder and sharper. He was glad when Billy Buck came in at dawn. Billy looked for a time at the pony as though he had never seen him before. He felt the ears and flanks. Jody, he said, I've got to do something you won't want to see. You run up to the house for a while. Jody grabbed him fiercely by the forearm. You're not going to shoot him. Billy patted his hand. No. I'm going to open a little hole in his windpipe so he can breathe. His nose is filled up. When he gets well, we'll put a little brass button in the hole for him to breathe through. Jody couldn't have gone away if he wanted to. It was awful to see the red hide cut, but infinitely more terrible to know it was being cut and not to see it. I'll stay right here, he said bitterly. You sure you've got to? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. If you stay, you can hold his head. If it doesn't make you sick, that is. The fine knife came out again and was wetted again just as carefully as it had been the first time. Jody held the pony's head up and the throat taut while Billy felt up and down for the right place. Jody sobbed once as the bright knife point disappeared into the throat. The pony plunged weakly away and then stood still, trembling violently. The blood ran thickly out and up the knife and across Billy's hand and into his shirt sleeve. The sure square hand sawed out a round hole in the flesh and the breath came bursting out of the hole throwing a fine spray of blood. With the rush of oxygen, the pony took a sudden strength. He lashed out with his hind feet and tried to rear, but Jody held his head down while Billy mopped the new wound with carbolic salve. It was a good job. The blood stopped flowing and the air pushed out of the hole and sucked it in regularly with a little bubbling noise. The rain brought in by the night wind began to fall on the barn roof. Then 
The triangle rang for breakfast. Now, you go up and eat while I wait, Billy said. We've got to keep this hole from plugging up. Jody walked slowly out of the barn. He was too dispirited to tell Billy how the barn door had blown open and let the pony out. He emerged into the wet gray morning and sloshed up to the house, taking a perverse pleasure in splashing through all the puddles. His mother fed him and put dry clothes on. She didn't question him. She seemed to know he couldn't answer questions. But when he was ready to go back to the barn, she brought him a pan of steaming meal. Give him this, she said. But Jody did not take the pan. He said, he won't eat anything, and ran out of the house. At the barn, Billy showed him how to fix a ball of cotton on a stick with which to swab out the breathing hole when it became clogged with mucus. Jody's father walked into the barn and stood with them in front of the stall. At length, he turned to the boy. Hadn't you better come with me? I'm going to drive over the hill. Jody shook his head. Oh, you better come on. Out of this, his father insisted. Billy turned on him angrily. Let him alone. It's his pony, isn't it? Carl Tiflin walked away without saying another word. His feelings were badly hurt. All morning, Jody kept the wound open and the air passing in and out freely. At noon, the pony lay wearily down on his side and stretched his nose out. Billy came back. If you're going to stay with him tonight, you better take a little nap, he said. Jody went out of the barn. The sky had cleared to a hard, thin blue Everywhere the birds were busy with worms that had come to the damp surface of the ground. Jody walked to the brush line and sat on the edge of the mossy tub. He looked down at the house and at the old bunkhouse and at the dark cypress tree. The place was familiar, but curiously changed. It wasn't itself anymore, but a frame for things that were happening. A cold wind blew out of the east now, signifying that the rain was over for a little while. At his feet, Jody could see the little arms of new weeds spreading out over the ground. In the mud about the spring were thousands of quail tracks. Doubletree mutt came sideways and embarrassed up through the vegetable patch, and Jody, remembering how he had thrown the clod put his arm about the dog's neck and kissed him on his big black nose. Doubletree Mutt sat still as though he knew some solemn thing was happening. His big tail slapped the ground gravely. Jody pulled a swollen tick out of Mutt's neck and popped it dead between his thumbnails. It was a nasty thing. He washed his hands in the cold spring water. Except for the steady swish of the wind, the farm was very quiet. Jody's, Jody knew his mother wouldn't mind if he didn't go in to eat his lunch. After a while, he went slowly back to the barn. Mutt crept into his own little house. 
and whined softly to himself for a long time. Billy Buck stood up from the box and surrendered the cotton swab. The pony still lay on his side, and the wound in his throat bellowed in and out. When Jody saw how dry and dead the hair looked, he knew at last there was no hope for the pony. He had seen the dead hair before on dogs and on cows, and it was a sure sign. He sat heavily on the box and let down the barrier of the box stall. For a long time he kept his eyes on the moving wound, and at last he dozed, and the afternoon passed quickly. Just before dark, his mother brought a deep dish of stew and left it for him, and went away. Jody ate a little of it, and when it was dark, he set the lantern on the floor by the pony's head so he could watch the wound and keep it open, and he dozed again until the night chill awakened him. The wind was blowing fiercely, bringing the north cold with it. Jody brought a blanket from his bed in the hay and wrapped himself in it. Gabalin's breathing was quiet at last. The hole in his throat moved gently. The owls flew through the hayloft, shrieking and looking for mice. Jody put his hands down on his head and slept. In his sleep, he was aware that the wind had increased. He heard it slamming about the barn. It was daylight when he awakened. The barn door had swung open. The pony was gone. He sprang up and ran out into the morning light. The pony's tracks were plain enough, dragging through the frost-like dew on the young grass. Tired tracks with little lines between them where the hoofs had dragged. He headed, they headed for the brush line halfway up the ridge. Jody broke into a run and followed them. The sun shone on the sharp white quartz that stuck through the ground here and there. As he followed the plain trail, a shadow cut across in front of him. He looked up and saw a high circle of black buzzards, and the slowly revolving circle dropped lower and lower. The solemn birds soon disappeared over the ridge. Jody ran faster then, forced on by panic and rage. The trail entered the brush at last and followed a winding route among the tall sage bushes. At the top of the ridge, Jody was winded. He paused, puffing noisily. The blood pounded in his ears. And then he saw what he was looking for. Below, in one of the little clearings in the brush, lay the red pony. In the distance, Joni could see the legs moving slowly and convulsively, and in a circle around him stood the buzzards, waiting for the moment of death they know so well. Jody leaped forward and plunged down the hill. The wet ground muffled his steps, and the brush hid him. When he arrived, 
It was all over. The first buzzard sat on the pony's head, and its beak had just risen, dripping with dark eye fluid. Jody plunged into the circle like a cat. The Black Brotherhood arose in a cloud, but the big one on the pony's head was too late, and it hopped along to take off. Jody caught its wingtip and pulled it down. It was nearly as big as he was. The free wing crashed into his face with the force of a club, but he hung on. The claws fastened on his leg, and the wing elbows battered his head on either side. Jody groped blindly with his free hand. His fingers found the neck of the struggling bird. The red eyes looked into his face, calm and fearless and fierce. The naked head turned from side to side. Then the beak opened and vomited a stream of putrefied fluid. Jody brought up his knee and fell on the great bird. He held the neck to the ground with one hand while his other found a piece of sharp white quartz. The first blow broke the beak sideways and thick black blood spurted from the twisted leathery mouth corners. He struck again and missed. The red fearless eyes still looked at him impersonal and unafraid and detached. He struck again and again until the buzzard lay dead, until its head was a red pulp. He was still beating the dead bird when Billy Buck pulled him off and held him tightly to calm his shaking. Carl Tiflin wiped the blood from the boy's face with a red bandana. Jody was limp and quiet now. His father moved the buzzard with his toe. Jody, he explained, the buzzard didn't kill the pony. Don't you know that? I know it, Jody said wearily. It was Billy Buck who was angry. He had lifted Jody in his arms and had turned to carry him home. But he turned back on Carl Tiflin. Course he knows it, Billy said furiously. Jesus Christ, man, can't you see how he'd feel about it? 